Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm yours, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, January 12th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all today. Anything goes. That means it's all about you and your phone calls. So line them up. Phone lines are open right now. The number to join us, 855 950 3835. Anything goes. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all you want to talk about, pick up the phone and join us. Looks like calls might be coming in already. We'll get to them in a little bit. I get to talk about my one of my favorite topics today. And I don't talk about it all that often, really. Uh, it's kind of political, but it's much, much bigger than just politics. I have been following this topic for oh, since the 90s, really. This is the first time I heard about it. I've been talking about it ever since I've been on the air. Just not a lot, but uh, it's back in the news. So it's time to talk about it a little bit today. The fair tax. I had almost given up on the fair tax. Our, our political environment had become so crazy and we're, you know, fighting against the Green New Deal and the mandates and the lockdowns and we're so divided. And I just kind of thought that the fair tax was dead on arrival, but it's not. Not that I think it's going to get passed. It won't. But the Republicans in the House have proposed the fair tax again. Uh, pretty incredible. Now, let's go back to what was, and I don't want to get too political, but I'm going to talk a little bit about politics. This is important. Let's go back to what just happened with the fight for the Speaker of the House. Most of the time when we vote, not we, we don't get to vote on the Speaker of the House. The, the House does. It just goes through. I mean, that's the norm. Here's who we're putting up for Speaker. They get passed. We move on. It's business as usual. This time we actually had a fight over it and they said it was embarrassing and chaotic and I, I, I didn't understand why they were saying that. This is our process. You know, we have, what, 220-some Republicans uh, in the House. You need a majority of 218, I think. We have 220-some. And over 200 of them just signed off on Kevin McCarthy, but eight or nine didn't. They fought back. That's how the process is supposed to work. If everybody just signs off on everything, that's the swamp we're talking about. We had some brave Republicans this last time that stood up and said, no, we, we aren't going to just sign off on this. So what they did, and, and you could say, well, why did they bother? Kevin McCarthy is still the Speaker of the House. Correct. They used that process to get things accomplished. They said, no, we won't vote for you unless you are going to do this. And that's how the process is supposed to work. It wasn't embarrassing or chaotic. It was democracy. And look at the results of it already. Because those eight or nine brave Republicans in the House stood up and said, no, we're going to debate this. We're going to negotiate this. We have already dropped the mandate for the vaccine in the military. That's big because 
The Biden administration just this week extended the emergency authorization around COVID again. We still, even though Joe Biden clearly said on TV, the pandemic is over. He said it very clearly. Since then, at least twice, he's extended the the emergency authorization around COVID, which is what allows the government to do all this crazy stuff without any real approval or without passing laws. That emergency authorization was what allowed the government to do all this crazy stuff. And we're still under that emergency authorization. But the Republicans, because that small group in the House fought back, they got that military mandate dropped, which is awesome. Now they're actually putting the fair tax up for a vote, which again is awesome. Now, I have no idea what will happen to it in the House. Not all Republicans agree on the fair tax, not even close. Some of them don't really want to see any change to the tax code. Some of them um, want to see something like a flat tax, which I'm not really in favor of. But there is a group that wants the fair tax. Who knows how many? Since the last time this has been voted on, the House is totally different. So I'm interested in just seeing how much Republican support there is. If they could pass the fair tax in the House, I kind of doubt that they'll be able to, but it's going to be interesting to see. It won't get past the Senate or the president. There's no chance of it getting passed with our current Congress and president. It's not going to happen. But what would be interesting is if the Republican House could pass it in the House right now. Then we would know if we could flip the Senate and the presidency in 2024, maybe we would actually get a fair tax. If that were to happen, I'm going to make what might be a pretty bold statement. It would be the biggest single change in the United States in my lifetime, hands down. It would be, I believe, revolutionary for our country and for our status around the world. Now, I could talk for hours about the fair tax itself, all the details, how it works. Now, I, I, if I'm going to do that, I would probably need to brush up a little bit. Um, I read the books on the fair tax probably 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, I've gone back and reviewed it a couple times. I, I, I still have a really good handle on what the fair tax is, but there may be some, some of the uh, trickier issues or some of the details I might need to go study up on, but um, I'll keep an eye on this um, and maybe I'll do, maybe we'll do a special episode on it or, or something. But if you want to talk about it, if you have questions about the fair tax, if you don't understand it, um, if you agree with it or don't agree with it, we can certainly talk about it today. Uh, like I say, it's one of my favorite topics. And I do think if we could ever pass it, it would be, again, the single biggest thing that's happened uh in our country's, you know, politics or the way we operate things in my lifetime. It, it will, it's hard to imagine all the things that it would change. Let's uh, let's get to some phone calls. Looks like Matt's up first. Matt, can you believe this about the fair tax? Matt? Hello? Hello. Oh, there you uh, are. I think my phone cut out there right as he came to me. Uh, actually, so I got to start with the fair tax now. Uh, I actually 
one thing that bothers me about this and the way you just presented it even, and I, I don't think you did it on purpose, but you almost make it sound like this is a, a Republican issue and a right-wing issue, and the fair tax is bipartisan. It probably is going to get supported by the Republicans more than the Democrats, but I, I just, if it does make it mainstream news and all that, I sure hope it doesn't get presented that way. You know, in reality, it's probably been supported by libertarians across the years more than anybody. Um, almost everybody I know that promotes the fair tax heavily is libertarian. And, and unfortunately, that's how it gets presented. And then both the Republicans and the Democrats fight back against it. But you're right that the support yep. has been bipartisan. It, but I, I'm pretty sure that it's never going to get voted in by a majority of Democrats. I mean, we, I, I, I don't like that it's presented that way either, but we have to be realistic um, it hasn't had a whole lot of Democratic support, hasn't had a ton of Republican support either. That's why, you know, 30 years later, we still haven't really ever talked about it much. Yeah, because if I remember right, oh, several years ago, I mean, it's been, it gets reintroduced most Congresses. I don't think the last two, you mean, if so you know, Congress is two years. Right. Um, I don't think the last two groups it was ever introduced. So we got to go back at least six, if not even more. Yeah. You, at you know, that the time it only had six co-sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, you're talking seven or eight representatives are even signed right. on to it. What's interesting about it this time? Because I, I think the first time it was introduced was 99, if I remember right. I might be a little off on that. But so it's been and it was around a long time before 99. But that was the first time it actually got brought to the, the House floor, I believe. Um, what's different this time for me anyway, is it's actually being talked about or, or maybe I'm seeing it. I'm seeing a lot of it on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, I'll go do some research and, and find the bill number and, and you know, co-sponsors, all that. And if the Senate is even putting together a bill yet, you know, obviously it won't go anywhere in the Senate, even it, if right. they put the bill together. Right. Until the House does something, but... Yeah, I... But, it'll, yeah, it's interesting. One can only hope. Yeah, like I say, it'll be interesting... This time, because it is being talked about and it, it will be nice to see where we are on the vote. Do you get any Democrats to vote for it at all this time? And do you get any new Republicans to vote for it or not? You know, what are the numbers going to look like? So the main reason for my call is I really wanted to call last Thursday when you had Travis on. And unfortunately, I was loading at the time during the whole show. Uh, but listening afterwards, you uh, had a caller by the name of Don, and he had his business report for the year. Yeah. And I've been waiting for somebody like Don to call that has their numbers together. 
I, I mean, my numbers are, you know, I'm very, very proud of them. I think they're, they're great, but I really don't think they're that spectacular. The best thing about my numbers is I run a lot. So, so the overall numbers look, you know, really, really good, but that's because I run a lot of miles. Um, I do have now my total numbers. The last time we talked, it was just the 11 months. So total for the year, I did 167,000 miles, which is insane. <laughs> that is you know, insane. I'll admit that. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, but my gross is 289. Don, last week, 289 a mile. Is that 289 a mile. Let's be clear. 289 a mile. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right. Uh, Don said he was at 319. Yeah. He's to a carrier. Yeah. He's beating me. When I'm running my own authority, and I don't know, I think Don said he was leased to Landstarts. I don't know if he owns his own trailer or not, but, you know, I own my own trailer. And his net revenue, mine is a uh, $1.98 a mile. His was two fourteen a mile. So he's beating me. No, now I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and disagree with something you said. You said, I don't think my numbers are all that spectacular. I disagree. I think they are. Don's were really spectacular and being leased to a carrier made it even more spectacular, but that doesn't discount these numbers. I mean, all it says is look that you were, were not an anomaly you had really incredible numbers, but you're not an anomaly. You're not alone. Lots of people had really incredible numbers the last year or two. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I, yes, my numbers are great, but I don't think they're impossible for. Oh, you know, no. Of, no. I don't know what percentage, but I don't think I'm, I'm out of the realm to be in, you know, in the top 20%. I think 20% of the industry could repeat my numbers. Ooh, I think you might be a little optimistic on that. Well, you know, not the miles and, you know, the totals, but my rates per mile, I don't think my gross revenue per mile is anything to brag about. It's, it's, It's good. It's great, but. I think it's beatable. It, it is, but it, really, rather than comparing individuals against each other, I tend to just look at history. And what I can say about 2022 is we've never had a year like that in my history of being in the industry, ever. No. And then I will say one of my numbers or my ratios that puts me in the way higher top percentage is my operating ratio. Um, oh, what is the exact number here? Um, 31 and a half percent. Wow. That's, <laughs> not, not too many people can get their, their expenses. 
down that, that low. That's a that's a pretty incredible operating ratio. Exactly. Yep. Um, and then I guess just for a lot of people that hear these numbers and probably think, oh, we got eat this guy must be rich and all that. <laughs> I, I try to be a pretty open book about most things in my life, even on the personal side. And, and I, I'd like to go over where some of this money went. So my gross, or excuse me, my net for the year was $331,000. Wow. And that is, is an incredible number. Yeah, it sure is. But for the year... I started out with $35,000 balance on a mortgage, paid that off, uh, and that's on a second piece of property. That piece of property, I've also built a driveway, put electricity in, all with cash. There we go, another $35,000. I invested $63,000 into the stock market. Um... The biggest one is uh, I've already paid in $61,000 in taxes, and I got a feeling I'm going to have to write another check yet. So the money, I still almost live paycheck to paycheck. Yes, I have a lot more in the bank than it is at the beginning, and, that, you know, paid off personal stuff and invested in personal stuff, but so still get spent. So, Matt, one of the numbers that, and it's hard to do numbers on the air anyway. I mean, it's nice when you have a visual and we can build on it. But, you know, one of the numbers um, to look at when uh, there's a couple ways we can look at this. Um, one is that you might say, well, look, all the money got spent anyway. It did. But if we could compare and this would be the number we would want to compare. We would go back to, you know, January 1st of 2022, the very first day of the year of last year. What was your net worth? Then let's look at what your net worth was on January 1st, because even though the money got spent, I mean, you could say, look, it's all gone. There was nothing left. But a lot of it got spent on things that increased your net worth. That's the important message here. Yeah, and that, that number really didn't go up a whole lot for this year because of the, the market. I was actually just printing out some of my end-of-the-year stuff, and my retirement shows a loss of $71,000 for the year. So, God, again, I this, this would make like a good webinar where we could show numbers and you know, it again, it's just hard to keep yeah. all these numbers in your head to think about this. But, you know, that that difference in the net worth number would be important. And when you said net worth didn't go up, now it gets a little more complicated. Let's go look at why. And because you have a lot of money invested in the stock market, the stock market did poorly this year. We could say, oh, well, then that was a horrible plan. There's another way to look at this issue, and this gets even more complicated. We would, I would go back and say, well, let's look last year how much money, the dollar amount you put into the stock market, and how many shares did it buy you? 
This year, let's look at the dollar amount you put into the market. How many shares did it buy you this time? Because it bought you more shares this year. It has to. The price went down. You were buying the stocks on sale this year. And it looks bad on paper. But what we know is that you are just, you bought assets. You have more potential for future gain now because you bought assets at a lower price. And I know that's confusing, but that's what happened. Yeah, because basically, I believe year over year, the S&P 500 is down 22% or right in that neighborhood. That's big. It's rallied a little bit the last couple of days. Yeah. So if we just went up 22% to get us back to where we were in January of last year. Right. My numbers would look <laughs> they, they fantastic. Way up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, there's, there's one other issue I want to go back over here because this is a great example of this concept. You know, there are many times, especially in the last couple of years, when you look at certain statistics that have been in the industry for a while, like ATBS, every quarter puts out gross and net revenue for owner operators. You know, I, I, I really haven't looked at it much this year. I've been busy. I need to go look and see what's happened with their owner operator numbers. But it's typically been in like the $60,000 range. I mean, nothing all that spectacular when you think of all the work and all the risk you take to be an owner operator and to find out the average is only 60 to 70 some thousand. You think, well, that's awful. And a lot of people say, well, hell with that. Why would I ever want to be an owner operator when I can go work for Walmart for $110,000 a year these days? And that is a consideration. And most people should think about that. But So you could say, well, God, it's awful that, you know, we have company drivers who make 100,000 plus, a lot more this year than we've had in a long time. And we do have owner operators who only make 60,000 a year. And that's true. And you you really, really have to take that into account before you decide if you want to be in business or not. But then there's the other end of that spectrum. And that's numbers like this and numbers like the other caller from Landstar, many, many other owner operators this year. As a company driver, yep, you're right. You can go out and find that, you know, really nice, secure job that pays those kind of rates. Fantastic. You'll never make 200 and some thousand dollars a year. It's not going to happen. You'll never, certainly never make $300,000 a year. That's not going to happen as an employee driver. So, yes, there, there's that security, and you can say, well, look, this is a lot of money. It's more than the average owner-operator makes, and that's probably a good decision for a lot of people. But if you want this kind of potential, it really does require you to be in business. Yeah. And the other thing, ATBS and their numbers, they have all the reporting. The reporting's getting done. What would be interesting is to interview a lot of their clients that actually know their numbers. Even though the report got done for them, how many people pay any attention to it? Well, I just had a call. That's 
secret, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I just had a call recently where a guy heard me talking about that issue and he was with ATBS and he said, it dawned on me when I heard you say it on the air that I pay him this money and all the work gets done, but I don't know any of my numbers. And, and he now has left ATBS. He's using our software and he's using our accountant for his taxes. And he said, I want to understand my numbers. And it wasn't working the other way. And I don't remember if this was last year or I think it was two years ago. Um, you also gave the numbers from ATBS that... On average, people leased to a carrier did better than people with their own authority. They they actually no, did. Minuscule. It was a very small amount. I think it was. You were both in that sixty or high fifty and low sixty thousand dollar range. Net. Yeah. Yeah. What confuses it a little bit is. But. Yeah. What confuses it a little bit is we also break those numbers down by segment. So in some segments owner-operators with their own authority did slightly better. And we're talking a couple thousand dollars at most for the entire year. Then maybe in another segment, Van, the leased owner-operators actually did a little better. So we we broke it down by segment, which complicated it a little bit. But when you put all the segments together, it turns out that leased owner-operators actually made a little more on average than... Now, we also have to remember one other thing here, and this is not a criticism of ATBS, it's just the reality of it, and I'm very familiar with their system. Their numbers are heavily weighted towards lease purchase, actually. Yeah. They they do That's a they lot of work. Is on the fleet side. Yeah, they do a lot of work through the carrier directly. ATBS's model was the opposite of mine. We did not work with the fleets. We went and to individual owner operators, they go to fleets, put in a program at the fleet level and then get, you know, the, the owner operators at that fleet to sign up. And that it's just, it's very heavily weighted towards lease purchase. So, um, I guess my, my biggest point I want to, you know, push out to the audience is a, Get your numbers together and know your numbers, and then for them to call you with questions. And I'll offer my own personal time when I can. Um, people that have real serious questions and, and need some help with this, that we help them and get them on the right track. You know, we, we've we've talked about programs over the years like mentor groups and and we've put some things together and we've helped some people that way not not a lot and it's and the biggest reason we don't do more of it and this would be one of the best areas to do it around this specific topic let's talk about your numbers let's talk about how you get them together how you understand them and and then because everything in business is going to progress from that we just can't get enough people to even talk about it much to create a formal mentor program. Yeah, and I, I guess, to be clear, I'm not offering true mentorship. I mean, right. one or two people I would, yeah. but I certainly don't want a full-time job of, of helping people. Um, you know, whatever 
little bit of research on certain things and, you know, more putting it out on the air than um, kind of like one-on-one stuff. Yeah, and, and like I said, if, if we had more interest, we might be able to progress into something like maybe a specific group on Trucking Tribe. Maybe we did a webinar once a quarter and, you know, brought in all the mentors and the people. It, I mean, there could be a really good program. And it wouldn't mean that any of the mentors ever had to do anything full time. You get enough of them that, yeah, we just recommend some calls or, you know, you pick up somebody that, you know, maybe is in your segment, you want to help them. I, I think we could put together a really good program. I just can't seem to get enough interest in it. No. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, even, you know, you've said many a times any seminar you're at, you usually ask yeah. the audience how many people actually it, have a P&L it, and a, or a business report and or any type of, you know, a spreadsheet, anything that tracks all their numbers and, the percentage is not very high. It in in the twenty some years I've been doing this, it's never been more than ten percent in any group I've ever talked to. Even you know, what to me is almost a shame, but even at the CMC, I think the percentage is probably the highest there. Right. But still not where it's it should not be. As high as I would expect it to be. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of which, this is just a little teaser. We we may have a, a program similar to the CMC in the works coming back. There's a couple different avenues we're, okay. we're talking about right now. Now, we need to be careful because I've just been saying all this week, we have too many projects not <laughs> finished. We have to finish those. But we're always looking to the future. We're always planning. And one of the things we are talking about, again, is a, a, a CMC-like program and also a health program, um, possibly that big as well. Now, it may not, I don't know if it'll ever be as big as five days and, you know, what the CMC became last time. That was just way too much for us to manage as a small company. But we're also working with another company in the industry that is changing its business model. And I can't say too much about this yet. Uh, and that may work into this where we actually allow a third party company to manage our events for us. And, and we just, you know, we bring the ideas, the content, and we actually partner with a third party company and let them manage the events is that's what happened. The event itself got so big we're a small company. We were devoting almost six months worth of work time for that one event. It was just insane. Uh, and we just can't keep doing that. Nope. So, uh, but there are a couple ideas in the works. There's a couple ideas for, you know, some sort of a hybrid program where, you know, there's, there's events that are virtual throughout the year. And then one, you know, in person, we're looking at a couple different options. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of health, I have a, a question on that subject too. All right. Uh, A1C and diabetes, pre-diabetic, all that. Do you have a number on A1C where you would say, you know, we need to really start managing, working? Um, I was a little shocked. I was just in, had blood work and all that. I've been having gout reoccurring again and had my a1c checked okay came back at 
you know the the absolute. I didn't think was bad. I know it's not. Yeah. Yeah, the absolute level that I would say you have to start working on it is if you're getting close to six. And really, that yep. that's not the best time. It's not the optimal time. That's like we if, if you don't want to end up with some diabetic complications and then we have to try to reverse them, you, you really, and like you said, you're at 5.8, you're already starting to feel some potential symptoms. So you are at the place where we absolutely need to address it. Um, in reality, um, if we were watching this closer, I, it, here's the other problem with this. Really, I don't even like to put a number on A1C. A1C, it, it's, it's really got a lot of problems when it comes to predicting diabetes. We, we've said it takes almost 10 years too long. If all we're using is fasting glucose and A1C, it takes us 10 years. Now, once somebody gets here, you're 5.8, you're starting to show symptoms. I don't even need numbers anymore. We need to do something. Now, no. so there really is no good A1C number to use to predict this. Because what happens is our body works really well. We're nice and insulin sensitive and we keep seeing these low A1C numbers. So we would say, oh, no, look, we, we, we say we're not going to worry about it till it gets to, say, 5.3. Well, it's, it's not there. And it's not even close. It's barely moving. And then all of a sudden, it's at 5.8 or 6 or 7 or it, it, it happens really fast. And then you say, oh, OK, well, now we need to address it. Well, it would have been much better if we could have monitored fasting insulin and we probably would have known a couple of years ago we should have addressed it. Yeah, and I, boy, if I'd have to look back at my record, I think 2019 was the last time I tested for it. Right. And I was 5.5, if I remember right. Yeah, so, see, I in mean, reality. Yeah, it's not like I'm getting tested even yearly. It's that's that's part of the problem with, with using this as a measurement. We don't test it very often. One of the things you should go do, really, I, at this point, you should go get a CGM. I did uh, use one oh, way back when you first ever started talking about it, but it was only the one time, and it is my kind of erratic and, you know, directly related to what I ate. Yeah, yeah. And so, I am overweight. I, you know, I, I know I got issues. It's not a surprise. Yeah, the, the what a CGM does at this point is it kind of really pinpoints where the issues are. It, because not it, it is it's always food. There's no doubt about that. But then there are other things that can exacerbate the issues with food. And sometimes we're surprised about which foods it is in somebody's diet. So the the CGM to me is still really really good data. Yeah, and if I remember right, when I did wear it, uh, nights where I didn't get a good night's sleep. Yes. It affected my numbers a lot. Yep, sure does. And that that part of my schedule has leveled out quite a bit. My, my schedule and my sleep has improved over the years. Good. And that's, that's quite a challenge when you run that many miles. 
Yep. Yeah, I, I still got one night, and it's just last night. Wednesday nights are always broken sleep for me. I'm up and down delivering with a you know three or four a.m. appointment, and then oh, reloading, yeah. and it's 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 a screwy night. But it's there isn't a whole lot I can do about it. But it's right. It's it's down to the only night now a week that's like that. I used to have two or three nights a week like that. You know, it it it's interesting because I think if you wear the CGM and you really pay attention and you think through it, maybe there is some things you can do during nights like that that make a little difference, even. No. Okay. All right. Well, it. it's, uh, it's, it's definitely my focus for my numbers is on the health side from now on. Well, there you go. Get your CGM and let's start working on that. All righty. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. Thanks for the numbers. Let's go to Texas. Paul, welcome. Howdy. What's on uh, your mind today? I got a couple of things to add. Well, some of my wife's health numbers, but I got a, something to add now because I consider myself to be rich, but I have a net worth in New Zealand of just over a million between a house, a classic car, a pine tree forest, and a few other bits and pieces. I don't have a whole lot of cash in New Zealand. So if you convert that, to American equivalent, that puts me at about a net worth of 650 US. And then if you add my US net worth in, which is about 475. Well, there you go. So that puts me about 1.1 million, but I don't plan on retiring. Yeah. So I still like going to work because the 1.1 million if i live for another 20 years i'll be broke when i die you know it, it's interesting you, you brought that up some country in the world right now either just changed their retirement age or they were talking about it so i i was kind of following the conversation and they're gonna i think it's france maybe they already have the lowest there was some issue i think their retirement might be down to like 62 now in france they might be one of the lowest in yep. the world I got thinking about that. Uh, that number shocked me when I read it because I thought, well, I'm only two years away from that. Um, I, and, and I got thinking about that. Like, I, I, I'd love to live to 100. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of a, at least my first goal now to, to make it to 100. But let's say I only made it to 80. I got thinking about that. 20 years of retirement. Now, because we work so hard in this country and we work our whole life and we think about retirement, most people hate their jobs. You know, people hear that and go, oh my God, yeah. 20 years of retirement, that'd be awesome. Try it once. Try taking two months off once and, and see, it makes me insane after a little while. What do you do with all that time? Yeah, well, old age runs fairly common on my father's side of the family and not too bad between my mother and her six brothers um, she got to just short of 91 a couple on dad's side of the family hit the 100 
my oldest living relative is he's either 98 or 99 but it's only a few years ago he started walking dad lived to be 85 and a half so i'd like to live to be a pain in the yeah ass for my next niece and nephews yeah you're uh (laughs) your your numbers look promising i'm kind of honestly i i and I, this used to worry me. It doesn't worry me nearly as much anymore because I understand this so much better. I can even remember talking about this once on the air that uh, I, I come from a very short line. Um, I never met one of my grandparents. He died before I was even born. Um, by the time I yeah. was 13, I had no grandparents left. All my grandparents had died by the time I was 13. Um, and both my parents died fairly young. My mom was 56. Uh, my dad was 67, I oh, think. Okay. So I, I don't have good numbers yeah. in, in my genealogy, but I, I understand enough now to know that that doesn't mean I have to succumb to the same fate. That, oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I can already tell, obviously, I'm not going to. I mean, um, both my parents had yeah. health issues in their 40s and 50s, fairly severe health issues. Um, yep. and I don't have those things. I, I, I managed to dodge the bullet and, and learn this stuff and, and turn it around early enough that I, I don't see any reason why I might not be able to make it to a hundred. Yeah. So on to my little question I'll call about my wife. So she's had the last couple of years, she's had quite a few uh oh, Paul, did we lose they, you? Oh, there you are. Uh, hey, Paul, start I'll, over. I'll I, bit, yeah. I, you cut uh, off right when you said she's had a few, and I think oh, you're okay. going to say UTIs, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, UTIs. But she actually had kidney stones as well. Well, they went in and blow them up or whatever they do. Well, one year later, she had still not passed them, but they hadn't got any bigger and they hadn't moved. So Monday night, 15 minutes later, she comes out and I said, you're right. And she says, no, I'm in pain around the, you know, lower back kidney and yeah. around the side. And we need to go to the doctor or the hospital. And she said, no, I'll be fine. And then Tuesday morning, and she was not a happy camper, and I called the doctor. I said, "Can we get a ASA appointment a, as soon as possible? Appointment? Yeah, I'll, I'll call you back." Well, after after an hour, the doctor hadn't called back, and she says, "Just take the." I was on Tuesday when I called him. Um, so I went to the hospital, and the first <laughs> they slid two masks under the perspex thing that they sit in behind and you need to put these on well we didn't put them on i give them to my wife and she put them in her bag yeah so the whole day they kept her in and did a procedure yesterday morning but the whole time i was there i did not wear a mask and not one single person told me you should have a mask there's lots of signs up yeah well, but i good. just refused to wear one yeah i'm not but, wearing one this yeah. time so, i'm not giving in for anybody no, this time so, yeah, but um, 
yesterday morning after her procedure, normally she runs low on the blood pressure scale. She's frequently like 104, 106. Okay. Over 58. That's like her normal blood pressure. Well, the low number yesterday morning after she'd had her procedure was 49. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. She, did, she didn't remember what the top number was, but um, if she took Cardio Miracle, would her blood pressure go lower or would it no. have no effect? It would have no effect, not on blood pressure anyway. It may have other positive effects just because there's a lot of nutrients in it, but it's not going to have any impact on her blood pressure. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, I might. She's not. She drinks too much alcohol, but and she smokes. Oh She's well, not a those health are not, but those are two big risk factors. You know, the the UTIs are usually so. We got a couple things going on with the UTIs. The the stones can um, increase all that risk because the stones are there. They're sharp. Yep. They're jagged. They you know cut things. That's why we get pain. I mean, that just really increases the risk of UTIs. So the stones should be yep. dealt with, and there are protocols, nutritional protocols, that'll actually help dissolve them and pass them. Uh, but then the next factor for UTIs is usually just too much sugar in the diet. Uh, that's what the UTI feeds on is the sugar. Yeah, well, she likes her rum and coke. She'll have yeah. a rum and coke every night. That, that'll do it. Old can, but... Yeah. Yeah. So... But uh, she be she's sixty she's sixty nine years old. But apart from the medication she's on now, she's not on any medication. That's a good sign. She's a long way from a she's a long way from a health nut. But I tell people she's the most unhealthy. She's not no. She's the healthiest unhealthy person you're going to find. There you go. So, uh, but she. She she drove trucks for many years. I actually met her in the TA truck stop in Ontario, and um, but she retired in 2006 to take care of her mother, and her mother lived for another eight years or something. But yeah, yeah, but she never went back to work. So got it. But okay, well I I might get her on the cardio miracle. I should probably get on it too. So there you go. But I'm a procrastinator. Okay, carry on. Thanks. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to New Jersey. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hey, I wanted to uh, say, oh, sorry for that last uh, couple of days ago, that question I threw out at you about um, um, <clears throat> investments. Um, you know, it was our Vanguard account, and we, uh, I, I, what I found out was, we uh, were, and as it pertains to S and P 500, you know, I had asked you about yeah. a couple of funds. They have so many funds, it makes it confusing. It is confusing. So we, yeah, and so the there was codes, a bunch of different codes for their, their for their um, their funds. Well, what I found out that we were buying, they were pulling out. Uh, they made a fund for growth funds out of the S and P 500. And then they made a, which we were buying, you know, and we 
got in, you know, and we, and let me just say, we, we do have a, a the Russell 2000 as well. And so, but it's just the S and P 500 we're talking about. I, um, you know, we just want the, I found out the code for the, all of it was, um, it's called the VOO. Okay. That's the S and P 500 straight index fund. Right. So, what the VO and then, then we saw value and then, so they made a fund for, um, they pulled out the value, um, <clears throat> companies, you know, and, uh, b- but what I'm trying to say is, uh, we're going to take all that, stop doing that and just go to the code that I found, you know, the, um, the fund that I found the, that the true full 500 yeah. index, right? Right, right. We're just going to uh, consolidate you, into this. Do you happen to have the code for that um, value fund? I want to take a look at it. Yeah, the value fund is called VOOV. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, and so... Yeah, here it is. I, I wanted to yeah. find this to see if I could figure out... Um, so... I kind of misspoke the other day. Um, I didn't understand exactly what they were doing. That's why I wanted this code. Now I can see. This is still an index fund. Mm-hmm. So when when you okay. said it was a fund kind of based on the S&P 500, my first thought is, okay, they're taking stocks only in the S&P, but then there's a fund manager who's trying to pick winners and losers out of those. Well, that's not true. What it, this is an index fund. There is no fund manager. What they're doing is they put right. criteria on companies in the S and P five hundred, and their criteria was: we want companies that are considered value stocks. There are growth stocks, value stocks. There's dividend stocks. There's different reasons we might focus on a certain stock. <laughs> They're identifying what are considered value stocks. So it's not a a human being saying, I think Tesla is going to outperform, so we're going to wait more into Tesla. All they're doing is saying, here's the criteria to say what a value stock is, and we're going to create an index fund that only invests in the value companies in the S&P 500. So it is still an index fund. Okay. Yeah. And we, we, we were kind of, you know, looking out for those managed funds like you have mentioned. Yeah. Aren't uh, necessary. Right. And, you know, with the fees and all that, because you can't beat the automatic, you know, S and P 500, just what it is. Right. You know? Um, but so, yeah, we were, you know, going to buy the values, focus on that. And then, you know, and ba- keep everything balanced and, um, but then I guess, so my question now, it becomes, um, we don't really need to do those two things if we're really, because we added those two up, you know, the G and the V, and they added up to exactly the same price as the uh, S&P 500, uh, the v, you know, um, the VOO um, price for that day. So for the stock, so it was basically like we were doing the same thing, just kind of fractionated you know, um, but, uh, then they had one and I guess this is a question I had too. They have one called the total stock market, which I'm sure you've heard, you know, the Vanguard total stock market, which is like 4,000 and something, um, right. Companies. 
and obviously the two, the 2000 are in there and the 500 are in there. Um, and it's a lot lower of a fund. And, and Jimmy was, we were trying to figure out why that, you know, the price per share. And we, she had a good thought that maybe it was because you, there's, it's spread out over so many funds that you, you know, you, and you buy a, a smaller piece of all of them, maybe. No, what, what's um, happening well, there. And again, yeah. this, this can get a little confusing if I don't have like numbers to put up that you can see, but the, here's how we get the share price in an index fund like this. It's an average of all the share prices of every stock that's in that fund. So what happened was you went to a fund that has a lot more companies in it and a bunch of those companies have lower stock prices. Yeah, that's what she was. That's basically what she was. Yeah, that's what she meant. So, and I thought, oh, that's it. That's it. And okay, so got it. So, and if let's say, so I guess here's the question. In your opinion, would you just, since we had the Russell, just start doing that, uh, the straight S and P 500 fund, uh, you know, and, or if we went into the total stock market, of course we would. I don't like the total market. I really don't. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. My mom's in that, you know, for 30, 40 years and she was, you know, she was telling us about it. So, um, I just, that was my question. Yeah, and you know, looking at this S&P value, this value fund that they created, even though it's an index fund, I'm not real wild about it either. It's done okay, but it hasn't hasn't outperformed the S&P 500 itself. Okay, yeah. So yeah, we're gonna consolidate, only because we didn't know, and uh, we're gonna put it, yeah. Very good. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah, that's. I, I wish we'd talk more about stocks and investing too. I think that's an awesome topic. Let's uh, let's go to Florida this time. Tony, welcome to the program. Morning, Kevin. Tony from VO two fifty two Trucking. How are you? <laughs> Excellent. What's on your mind today? That's good. I'm glad I tuned in today. It's interesting how the caller just brought up Vanguard. Um, I have a story on that, but I can't let Matt go without saying that I'm interested in participating in a, in the forum on business. And, and of course, Paul, my, my other uh, carrier that I've been listening to, he's given me some ideas. I, I couldn't not call after those two. Exactly. But I think that in that forum, what I'd be ending up talking about is how to get these brokers uh, to, to somehow arrive like Matt has on direct freight. And I was thinking about what you said. Well, yeah, you get a relationship with them, invite them to dinner. By the way, I have uh, posted on Facebook to buy both Paul and Matt uh, lunch anywhere they want. And I am in Southwest Florida awesome. um, with no response. But anyway, I'm pretty sure that if I, I I know, I'll trade Matt's uh, numbers for my VO2 max, by the way. I'm just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) But, but yeah, Um, I would gladly give him my, my fitness if, if I could. 
Uh, more on that later. But if, I'm pretty sure that if I asked my broker to out to lunch, he would say it's against company policy. Really? What company? Um, I don't really like to mention. Yeah, that's uh, okay then. Don't. It's, uh, brokers, but, I, but the, the initials I, I, are cheap and heavy. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think that is against their policy. I actually know a lot of people there. I would be surprised if they had a problem with that. It, it's not, but I'm pretty sure he, he wouldn't do it because it'd be a waste of his time. And so just that that's he, what I would end up talking about is how do you get direct freight? Because I'm just, so, I've Tony, been, let, been in my wheels for 12 years now. Let me give you a couple ideas. So first, before I do, remind me, I'm, I'm going to go back to some ideas on getting direct freight. But I want to tell you a story about C.H. Robinson. Um, I, I love this story, by the way. So this was a couple years ago. I don't remember exactly what year it happened, but I had a caller. Kind of like you. Hey, you know, I, I'm thinking about, you know, um, getting my own authority. I, I don't know exactly what I'm doing. I need a plan. And I said, you know, here, here's the thing you want to do. I said, you, you don't want to do what everybody else does, which, you know, we have a couple sayings for this. Um, chasing the rate and one and done. That's the way we see most owner operators when they get their own authority. They start chasing the rate and then they're one and done. And here's what that means. They get their authority. They go sign up for a load board or, you know, or two, dat, truckstop.com, maybe both. And every day when they need a load, they go in and they search for a load. And we know they do this because I work with these companies and they gather all of this data about how their users interact with the program. They search a load. I know. No, no, I know that's not me. They, I know what you're talking about. Yep. They sort I, it by I price. The same broker every time. Yep. And and then they pick whoever is paying the most on that particular search. And then they do that. And then over and over and over, they keep doing that. And they end up working with 50, 60, 70, 100 brokers in a single year. I've seen that happen. Yeah. That's call, what we don't are want get to do. sick of hearing that because I... Yeah, I know. I've, I've heard that. I used to do that, but uh, listeners are going to get sick because they've heard that too. And I, I, even I'm smart enough not to do that anymore. I just, I okay. call this so, guy. It's only him. I won't talk to anyone else. And if he's not there, I, I'm pretty rude perfect. and I'll, I just won't work. But perfect. I have a relationship, so, but. So here's the rest of the story with C.H. Robinson. And, and I was actually pretty impressed with C.H. Robinson over this whole process. So I'm working with this guy and I'm telling him, don't do that you need to go find three to five good brokers that have the kind of freight you want and the lanes you want. You have to go do the homework to find those guys. Then once you identify them, go take them to lunch and focus on those three to five and get all of your freight from them. Every once in a while, you might need to go look for a random load on the load board, but probably not. And then that was the last time I talked to the guy. We had that one call. And then out of the blue, like months later, almost a year, I think, I actually get approached by C.H. Robinson and they were approaching me to come speak at their annual event. And it, it's pretty odd for me just to get requests like that out of the blue. You know, most of my speaking happens with, with organizations that I've already built a relationship with over the years. You know, TCA, uh, TIA, 
the local or state trucking associations, those kind of groups. Well, I, you know, I'd make a relationship with them and then, you know, they, I might get an invitation to go speak somewhere. This was just out of the blue. I, I knew nobody at C.H. Robinson at the time, and I thought it was a little odd. So I responded and I said, well, yeah, we can talk about it. What, um, you know, what do you want me to talk about? What's the event? What well, was their annual carrier event where they, they award all the carriers that they work with throughout the year and they break it down into categories, you know, 10,000 trucks and more because C.H. Robinson obviously works with very big carriers all the way down to they give an award every year for a single truck owner operator. And the reason they wanted me to come speak, that guy that called me, he took my advice and went one step further. He didn't go find three to five good brokers. He went to C.H. Robinson. He was the only broker they used that year. And he had an incredible year, his first year with his own authority. And he had two or three agents within C.H. Robinson that he worked with. And it was incredible what they accomplished that year. And then he was getting this award from C.H. Robinson. And, and that's why they asked me to come speak, because he told them, I, I did this because, you know, I called this guy on the radio and, and got some advice. So I, it was just a, a really great story of how he didn't even bother with three to five brokers. And he went to one of the most notorious brokers in the country. We call them cheap and heavy. I mean, that's their nickname. And he did fantastic with it. That does give me some inspiration. And uh, that is kind of like my story. So I guess I'm on the right path. I will, you know, don't want to jeopardize my status as the uh, um carrier that hates brokers, you know, at all, but you're right. Now, you now. know, I, I am, Paul, I am listening. I'm going to go to Car Carvana FedEx. I am listening, but Kevin, I also listen to you and brokers as well. So here's another strategy. It's not used very often, but I've seen it used pretty successfully. Requires a little more work, requires a little more relationship building but I have known, and, and I did this way back when, I did this from the other side of the table when I was a broker. Um, it's not out of the question to go to a broker, any broker, several brokers, and talk to them about having a relationship with them as your sales agent instead of as a broker. And then what you do is you tell them, look, I would really like some consistent, dedicated freight out of this area, usually your, your home area. And here's how I want to handle it. I want you to go find me that freight and I, but I want it to be mine and I'll pay you a, you know, 15% commission on all the freight you find me through those accounts going forward. I will just, you'll just become my sales agent. There you go. I never thought of that. Like, how do you even do that? I guess that's out at lunch. Exactly. Those are the kind of conversations that if you picked up the phone and started calling random brokers and said, hey, I want you to be my sales agent, they'll probably hang up on you because they're busy. But if you actually were serious about it and you call them and you go to lunch and you talk about your operation and your goals, then they start to realize you're serious about this. And to them, it's just another piece of business they can get. And actually, if they do it, it's pretty damn easy. 
they go find some freight, they get a commission on all of it, but they have somebody like you that's serious about taking care of those customers. That's that's gold for a broker. Yeah, I even got C.H. Robinson a contract. Like, I was with, you know, leased to a carrier, and and uh, and there was this freight that I knew they could use, but, yeah. but I knew that C.H. Robinson had it, and I, I actually got that contract for this carrier. I ended up leaving them and I, I don't get anything, you know, I right. get the commission for that. It, right. I actually acted as a broker, but well, you acted as a sales uh, agent think, and there is a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I think I'll do that. Any other ideas? I would start with that one. Well, uh, there's this race in Tampa, which is, you know, right about where I'm at. I run it every year. Uh, and I think I'm going to challenge my broker friend that I have because a lot of them run in that. And I usually run in it. You know, it's 5Ks, half marathons, whatever. Oh, I'm absolutely. Gonna say, hey, hey, why don't we run that race? Absolutely. And that'd be a good way to meet him. That's a, that's a fantastic idea. That's real relationship building there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, hey, let's have breakfast afterwards, exactly. you know, yep. maybe, you know, talk, talk some brokering or not, you know, don't have to be just exactly. we'll both be pretty exhausted, but right. you know, Hey, good job. What was your time? Hey, how about, you know, if, if I feel it out, how about this? You know, how, how's this for an idea? Maybe I can get Matt to run in that race. Gasparilla, the public 5k. It, there you go. End of February. And, and then, uh, and Paul, I am looking for you. I'm headed to Texas, by the way. I, I do look for that. We have the same truck, by the way. So I do look for that car carrier every there. time I'm anywhere. There you I'd go. Like to ask you about your numbers and meet you one day. That's the that's Sound the like power of the good. tribe. Yeah. Uh, Wim Hof, by the way, I've actually been doing Wim Hof longer than you have. They had him on Dr. Radio about four years ago. Okay. And they did a round of deep breathing, uh, on air. Talk about oh, radio cool. silence. Yeah. But, but yeah. And I, I've been doing that for about four years. Honestly, I'm not real good at it, but two minutes and 40 seconds isn't too shabby for one round. No, that's so. Yeah. That, you know, and I think I talked about this once before, and I'm not sure. Well, I do know one thing that changed, but um, I'm very on and off. Sometimes I'm really, you know, strict with it, and I do it every day and multiple days in a row or weeks or months sometimes. But with the all the testing and the biohacking I'm doing, I'm always stopping things. So I've stopped the breathing several times, gone back to it. Um, it seems to me like when I first started, you know, if I could get to two minutes, that was a really good round. And then I, you know, started getting to two minutes and yeah. 15 seconds pretty regular and 2.30. And I had a couple weird anomalies where I w actually went past three minutes. This last time that I've gone back to it, and one of the differences is I am doing the breathing in the infrared sauna. I am struggling to get to a yeah. minute and a half. 
I mean, I am, I barely, I did it yesterday and I barely made it to a minute and a half most rounds. Um, one of the factors I do know is when you're in that infrared sauna, uh, my heart rate's up around 115, even though I'm just sitting still breathing, uh, my heart rate gets to about 115. And what that means is the faster your heart is pumping blood, the more oxygen it requires. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what cut my numbers down so much. But it it almost seems like it, there must yeah. have been something else going on, too. But, you know, like I said I, the last time I talked about it, it, it's not a race. It's not a competition. It's fun when you get those you right. know, three minutes. That's pretty darn cool. Um, but the, the point is you just want to get your body to the point where it, it really is kind of starving for oxygen. And it really doesn't matter if that happens at a minute or four minutes. No, yeah, that's not the goal is, is to beat somebody, although I am pretty jealous now. I'll, I'll, I'll trade your three minutes for my, my, uh, my five-minute mile, which I still haven't cracked, and I am ashamed of it. But I'll only do that round first thing in the morning before I even wake up. I won't even try it because I know as soon as my heart rate starts going up and getting up, uh, I know I won't do as well. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, this kind of a little off the topic, but uh, you mentioned, you know, a five minute mile. Um, the one of the uh, well, the guy that actually led me to Cardio Miracle and he's a, a, a part of the company, um, Stan Graham. We've had him on the show several times. Um, pretty amazing guy. Uh, he holds some sort of a record. I forget what exactly what the record is, but um, he has a record in the mile run for people over 50. And I think it's a pretty big deal, whatever the record is. Yeah, it, it probably is. He's probably in the fours. I can't break I, six at 48. And if somebody, you know, I would pay anyone, you know, for 21 more seconds just to get under five. I don't know why. I, 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 I'm a, fine with a 621. It, it's perfectly that, fine. You know, that's I'm, impressive. I'm good, but. There's no doubt about it. That's still impressive. And I do have to stay, say I, I met Stan in person and I, I think his legs are about the same length as my torso, my whole body. Right. Yeah. Mine are too, probably. So yeah, it, I, yeah you're, I, I'm, I, I'm not cheat, built for running. And I still can't even do it. <laughs> I am checking out that uh, all the stuff online, the sales. I, I need to order a oil sample, but I uh, forgot. I am on my own uh, fitness line of brands that I've been doing for about four and a half years, but doesn't mean I won't change. You know, that I, I think they're pretty much all the same. I go for... Uh, natural and organic, and there's this one line that I use that are that's pretty you know, stable and and that I trust because I know the people. You know, it's a lot like a lot of things in life. I, I've said many times. Let's talk about something that you know everybody in this industry understands: oil, the oil we put in our truck. A lot of different oils out there. There's almost there's very little difference between any of them. They're all really similar. Slightly different additive packages, slightly different approaches, which is, it, it, think about almost everything. Aren't there a lot of really, really good cars produced in the world? Almost all the same. They have some differences. 
This is kind of the same way. When it comes to supplements, as long as you're working with a professional line of some sort, because there is there are a lot of garbage supplements out there, total garbage, but there are also a lot of really good ones. It's not just ours. I mean, Biotics is an amazing company. They do, you know, I could go through why their processes are so good and all the testing they do for, you know, heavy metals and to make sure their ingredients are pure. They do some, some of the most intensive testing I've ever seen. But there are also 10 other supplement companies out there that I could say are, are just as good. Yeah, ours do too. And I was like, I was asking the, the leaders, why aren't they in stores? Like, why don't we put these in stores? Why don't, why don't we have it on the open market? Well, where can you buy a Lamborghini? Do you see Lamborghinis Correct. advertised in stores? Right. Yeah, and that's why I said, and the term I used was a professional line of supplements. That That's kind of what we mean, that you're not going to find them at GNC. You're not going to find them in Walmart. Usually you have to work through a practitioner to get them. Because they can't make money on it. There's just not enough of a margin. It's that good that, that the stores won't, they can't afford to sell them. That That's a big part of it. Yeah. The other reason, if they are, a, you know, if they are a supplement company that's truly in business to help people be healthier, not just market and sell a bunch of products, um, they want the professional practitioner so that they don't just have people randomly taking a bunch of supplements because that doesn't work either. Yeah, that's, that's right. And that's what they said about ours is they don't do advertising. It's actually the best to actually pay people like me. And if I were smart, I'd be doing that and I wouldn't have to drive a truck. Is I'd be smarter at marketing and just be getting paid to help people. But I'm just not good at sales, as you can tell. I can't even find loads. <laughs> oh, listen to you. You find all kinds of loads. Yeah, I got some help. Well, there you go. We all need help. That, that, that's why the tribe exists. That's why I do what I do. You know, we, we, even the term tribe is for a reason. Human beings can't survive on their own in the wild. We just can't. We, I, I, don't, I doubt that there ever was a time where we could. Now, I'm not saying one, there you know, aren't a couple human beings here and there that if you put them in the right place out in the wild, they could survive. Well, yeah. But on average, we cannot go out into the wild on our own and survive. We never have been able to. That, that's why we formed tribes in the beginning. We had to have them to, to live and survive in the wild. I, I kind of feel the same way about business. It's really nice having a tribe. I used to say that I've, as long as I've got my tennis racket and, and my tennis ball and, and my tennis crew, I'd be okay. But, uh, but now I've got, yeah, the tribe is something good to go to as well. Yeah. Because <laughs> there are people in there that, that, you know, really care. They may not be good enough to play tennis, but I'm it, just kidding. That, They're good people. That's, that's right. All right. Good stuff, Tony. Yeah, man. Take it easy. Talk to you soon. All right. Um, I just looked at the board. I was uh, very engaged in my conversation with Tony there. Interesting stuff. And I realized we are all out of calls. Uh, 
We do have Rolling Toe coming up. Let me check. I'm pretty sure it should be at 10 o'clock today. Yep, 10 a.m. So we've got about 45 minutes left. I could either go take a break for the next 45 minutes. Maybe go do a uh, brain tap session. Maybe go do a little infrared sauna and some Wim Hof breathing. Um, or I could take a couple more calls if you want. It's totally up to you. I will wait about uh, one minute. Is there anything else I wanted to talk about today? Let me go back and try to find my notes. See if there was anything interesting. Um, I've had this article hanging around since December somewhere. Um, I might as well just mention this while I'm waiting for a call or two so I can get rid of this. Um, don't you just love this headline? Listen to this. Rocket fuel compound found in diabetes medication. Wonderful. Uh, back in 2018, the FDA actually recalled um, some high blood pressure medications because they had some sort of a contamination in those. Um, metformin, I remember, has some sort of a contamination issue that could cause cancer. Um, those have been two big recalls lately. And now, oh, also there was uh, 2017, there was uh, Zantec was recalled unacceptable levels of NDMA. Uh, NDMA is deadly in minute amounts. Uh, NDMA was once used in the commercial production of rocket fuel. Um, now we're also finding MDN MDMA contamination in diabetes medications. Um, one more reason, not like we really need one, but one more reason not to be on prescriptions. Uh, calls are coming in. Let's go talk to them. Uh, let's go to Texas. Fred, welcome to the program. Hello again, Kev. How are you doing today? Doing excellent. What's on your mind today? Uh, well, I'll tell you about this. Uh, I, I finally got my insurance endeavor straightened out. So um, I was paying with the flatbed uh, all in about thir about fifteen three a year, and uh, it, it went up. And I I moved. Because of the tanker, I needed some pollution and stuff like that, policies, and I was trying to do non-hazardous work. And I moved to a different uh, agent um, for all of that. So it raised my insurance to about, about 18000 with the pollution and a couple other things I needed. But it still was non-hazardous. Okay. So I've I been finding a lot more hazardous material work <clears throat> down here in Texas. So... I said, let me go ahead and try to see what I need to do to get hazardous certified and the insurance out of the way. So the agent I had just transferred to was a hazardous materials agent, is kind of why I went to him in case I wanted to do that. He came back with a quote of $32,000. Wow. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Right? And that, and that was just for the auto and, and cargo. I still had the pollution policy, which was about 2200 and my G, and my general liability, which was about 700 So now I'm up to 34000 Wow. 
So I actually met a kid about a year ago up in Kansas that hauls this uh, ammonia for the fertilizers and the farms up there and stuff. Okay. And he had he had a, like a, about a dozen trucks running for him. I think ten were his and a couple of on operators. Really nice kid. And he yeah you know, he said he wasn't paying that much, but he had a, a volume discount. So I just shot him a text out of the blue, and he gave me his agent up in Nebraska. Um, I told him what I was doing, told him what I needed. He knew about it. He I told him, you know, what I'm looking to do, what class classifications of hazardous I'm doing. And um, he said, okay. He says, I haven't wrote in Texas in about 10 years, but we'll, we'll run it up the flagpole and see what we got. So he came back with a quote the very next morning, $14,000 all in. Wow. That's that, crazy. That's pollution. That's pollution. That's GL. That's hazardous. It, I, I was blown away. I said, what do you mean? Like a month? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's crazy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So he says, you know, we can I have a couple other avenues if this is too much. And I'm like, sign me up right now. Right now. Send me the paperwork. Exactly. I'm signing it. Yeah. So. Like, and, and I said, do you need this up front? Is this like, do I have to lay? He says, no. He said, they want a month. They want a month security, a month up front, and then $1,200 a month for 10 months. Wow. I'm like, he said, but it has to come directly out of your bank. It can't be on the charge card. I said, that's perfect. No finance charge, nothing. I'm like, wow. Yeah. So. Yeah, he said to me, he said, I don't look at any of your information. I just put it together, bundle it, and send it to the carry, to the, you know, to, you know the, the insurance department. He said, your, your DOT number and your license must be super clean. I was shocked that you got this price. You know? Wow. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I couldn't believe it. So it kind of like gave me a new lease on life here with this, you know, with this tank work. Awesome. So... Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I've been, you know, I, I hit the ground running. I did a load yesterday, doing a load today. Got a couple loads set up for next week. Um, you know, uh, yeah, so I'm doing, uh, I'm a hazmat carrier now. There you go. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'll tell you another exciting thing was, uh, last night when I got home, that sauna space was sitting on the porch. So I'm really uh, excited to, uh, to get into that. You know, uh, I, I'm starting to call that, I, I have that single, you, you probably bought the same one, right? That single bulb on the board? Yep. In, yep, in the yep, Faraday yep. cage. Did you open it up? No, I looked at it briefly. I got him, I, I had a long day yesterday, and I didn't. I know the glass bulb is kind of fragile, so I didn't want to mess with it. Um, so I just kind of opened it up and didn't pull it out yet. Yeah, but, it, uh, it, it is a it beautiful. It doesn't look big at all. It is a beautiful piece of craftsmanship. This company builds just beautiful products. Um, I had an interesting call with uh, with the CEO of Sauna Space last week. So he, here's another interesting story. Um, I may have told this. I can't remember um, the the health conference that I just went to in Las Vegas. That was not on my radar. It wasn't planned. I didn't even know about it. About three days before the event, 
Um, Lisa said, hey, I, I see Dr. Wolfson's going to be speaking at this event in Las Vegas. Why don't you go? And I said, oh, I don't know. It's, you know, travel and airplanes. And But then I thought about it. And, you know, I thought, you know, it's right. a good opportunity. I can get a direct flight down to Vegas. That one decision has reaped so many rewards. It's unbelievable. So I had attempted to work with Sauna Space a couple months ago. I think I talked about it. And I called them and, you know, right. talked to a couple people about some ideas I had. And they said, look, well, we need to get you in touch with our CEO. He makes all these decisions. And I said, okay. And, and nothing ever progressed. Nothing was really happening. I, we had a couple ideas we were throwing around. And I was kind of waiting for something to happen with that. And it wasn't really happening. So I, I go to this conference. Again, last minute decision. I walk in, the first company I see on the show floor is Biotics, and everybody there knows me. I was shocked by that. The next company I walk over and talk to is Sauna Space. And I walk up, I talk to the guy, I gave him all my ideas, and he said, you have got to talk to our CEO. And I said, I know, I've kind of been, you know, playing email tag and we're trying. And he said, well, I'm going to make sure it happens. And he did. And we got on the phone, really, really interesting company. CEOs, fairly young um, just a, just a right. great company all around. So we're working on some ideas with them. They're excited about it. Well, it's, uh, that's awesome. Um, I'll tell you, it's funny how you get put in situations when you, when you're looking, when you're not looking for it, you know, um, just this past weekend, I went and got a haircut and, the guy in the chair before me has this little company down here in Houston, a couple of uh, shops that he's doing all kinds of cold therapy. Really? For people. Um, you know, yeah. And I, I, I want to, I, I had, I forgot, I wrote the guy's information down cause I want to go check it out. He does a lot of different, you know, I, I, he has this one, um, tank that he actually put in his house. It's about $6,000, but it's, you don't have to change the water in it and it stays consistent at like 32 degrees. Wow. Um, it's six months. It's six months, but it's, it's expensive. He says he has two places in, uh, like kind of close to me, one down in the, down in the, in downtown Houston in uh, what they call the, uh, the Galleria district, I guess it's, you know, um, and, and then he has another one further closer to me on the north side of Houston, but the one in, closer to me doesn't have this particular tank. I got the name of it, but he told me about it. We were talking for about a half an hour. Really interesting kid. Young yeah. guy. In, you know, probably early 30s. Um, and he's, you know, he's been involved in this for a while, and I was telling him about, you know, the stress protocol and the Wim Hof breathing, and he knew about the Wim Hof breathing, and he was going to look into the X3 bar, I told him. It's very convenient. It might be something to put in his place, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, really interesting guy. And, um, but yeah, so you get put in these situations when you're, I guess, involved in this for some reason, they, they put you to get, you know, uh, and that's what happened with you with sauna space. It looks like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I had no idea they were going to, I mean, I booked the, the events so late. I didn't even go look at the vendor list cause I just didn't have time. I mean, I was trying to book flights and hotels and get going and, like I said, I walked in and, and I, it was an aging, conf, an anti-aging conference. And, you know, I didn't recognize many of the speakers. Right. And I'm like, ah, do I, 
you know, it, it's probably worth it just to go spend some time with uh, with Dr. Wolfson. But so many other good things came out of going to that event. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, I have to give props to Lisa because uh, my wife would never tell me, just go to Vegas, have fun. <laughs> yeah, she almost forced me to go. <laughs> That's excellent. That's funny. I, I post, I commented on the post I made. Uh, my wife this morning when she got, and she got up, says, what the hell did you get now? <laughs> yeah, there you go. I know. That, I, that, said, I said, well, I said, I said, you'll see. That, said, that's you a, are crazy, aren't you? And I said, oh yeah. That's almost an everyday occurrence around this house. What the hell did you get now? Um, it, it's a yeah, it's a it's a pretty common thing around here, no doubt. You know, here's something yeah, else yeah. interesting. But I was excited. It took a while. Speaking of Vegas, the first time I went to Vegas was in '99. It was where I did my first solo seminar ever. Um, I had I had okay. done my first seminar that year at Louisville, but I was on the panel. I wasn't the presenter. Then the presenter bombed. They actually asked me to be the presenter, and the next show that year was Las Vegas. So Las Vegas was the first time I did Partners in Business by myself. And I went to Vegas every year for many years for that show, and you know I was just back to Vegas with, with this event, and I've been down to Vegas for Anthony Robbins' events. In all the years since 99, I've been going back to Vegas. I have never gambled a single dime, not one. Uh, God bless you, because that's the reason I wouldn't be able to go, because back in the day when I was running around New York and hanging out with people, Atlantic City was a regular occurrence for me, and I'm one of these guys that uh, I go down with a pocket full of money and I'm spending every every dollar of it, or I'm coming home with, a, with two pockets full of money. Oh, there you go. So, you know, and, and uh, you know, my wife saw me kind of just... You know, no respect for money at the time because I was making a lot of money. I had a it, right. and that you know the, the lifestyle I had, and you hey, know, Fred, and, uh, again, you know, that, yes, sir. That's the curse of the entrepreneur. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We we all um, yeah. So that's the thing. Yeah, entrepreneurs yeah. tend to get so arrogant that they have the ability to make a lot of money that they tend not to focus on the expenses, and it can get you in trouble if you're not careful. Well, that's that's exactly what happened to me. I I had kind of most of my trucks in one basket, and then that company sold to a bigger conglomerate, and they didn't need my dozen trucks. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like. Yeah. What do I do now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep, that's how it happens. Uh, so, yeah, and you know, like like you just said, it was like you know, tomorrow is never going to come, and um, you know, I'm spending money like a congressman, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, I I, had, I was leasing Mercedes Benzes. I mean, I got a diamond gold Rolex. I'm a truck driver. I exactly. mean, I shouldn't have these things, but. You know, uh, that that was the lifestyle. You know, again, New York, the streets, and, you know, the way I grew up, it, it kind of was like, you know, you want to be those guys who are in the movies, but you don't want to do, do what they do to get it. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All right, Fred, good stuff. Hey, I'm going to move on. The calls are starting to pile up on me here. I thought I was going to have an easy day today. Um, let's go to Ohio. John, welcome. 
Hi. Hey, uh, I, I know uh, the fair tax, and I've heard you talk about it before, but I couldn't recall exactly how it worked, and I was wondering if you could, like, you know, give me a quick version, the cliff notes sure. or whatever. Sure. I love talking about this topic. I'm glad somebody asked. So first, before I talk about the fair tax, let me clarify something else people hear and confuse it. And I've even seen it being confused this time right now. A lot of people will use the term flat tax. There is a proposal for a flat tax. It's very, very different from the fair tax. But people confuse these all the time. In a flat tax, the IRS would still exist. Payroll withholding would still exist. The only thing that would change is they just eliminate all of the tax code almost, and they just put a flat percentage on whatever income they're going to tax, whether it's your adjusted net or whatever number they're going to use. The the tax return is simply this. What is that number for you? And you have to pay 15% of it in tax. Everybody pays the flat rate, whatever it is, 10%, 15, 20, whatever they come up with. There's no deductions. There's no adjustments. This is what everybody pays. That's a flat tax. I am not in favor of that. It's better than what we have now, but it's nowhere near as good as a fair tax. The, because all the IRS still exists, all the taxes we all pay still exist, payroll tax withholding still exists. In the fair tax, all of that stuff goes away. The IRS is disbanded. The payroll tax goes away completely. No employer under a fair tax would withhold any taxes from anybody's check. Social Security withholding goes away. Medicare withholding goes away income tax goes away. There's a whole list of other taxes that go away with this. Then what happens is we institute a national sales tax, and that's how we fund the government. Income tax goes away. Social Security and Medicare withholding goes away. Those taxes go away. Medicare still exists. Social Security still exists. We just fund them a different way. So payroll withholding disappears. That's awesome for employers. It's awesome for employees. You get your whole check. So what happens then is there there is a national sales tax on every new item you buy. No used items are taxed. Um, You know, flea markets and, you know, buying and selling used stuff online, none of that gets taxed. Only new products get taxed. And you just pay the tax at the point of sale. And there are, I don't know, like 30, almost 40 some states, I believe, that have state sales tax, maybe even more than that. So the mechanism for collecting the tax in those states is already in place. That's what would replace the IRS. The the state taxing agency, sales tax, just collect the sales tax, pass it on to the federal government, and that's how we fund our government. It doesn't, and it almost doesn't seem like that would be enough money if you only were taxing new stuff. Wait, wait, you never asked me what the rate is. How do you know it's not enough money? Look Look at how many new items get bought in this country and put a, and by the way, the fair tax is roughly around 20%. 
They will argue back and forth. There's different ways of cal- not calculating it, pre- presenting it that makes it look a little different. That's one of the places that they'll argue about back and forth. But they have shown where the rate they plan on implementing for the fair tax would replace all of the income from all of those other taxes. All the math has already been done. It is enough money, and it's around 20 percent. Sounds great. I mean, I, I last time I heard you talk about it, I was thinking, well, hell, that's almost a no-brainer, you know. But I, it, To I mean, me, it about, is a no-brainer. I mean, to play devil's advocate, I guess. I guess to play devil's advocate, but what about, like, you know, if I was going to go out and buy something, I'd make sure I went out and bought something that was used, I guess. I sure, don't know. why not? Wouldn't it be nice to have that that? choice? So I didn't have to pay tax. Correct. (laughs) I know. Isn't it nice to have that choice? Now, let's talk about what what is their big agenda in the government right now? Isn't it the environment? Right. Wouldn't it be really, really good for the environment if we encouraged a lot of people to buy stuff secondhand instead of brand new? That's true, too. I wonder why, I mean, why can't, I mean, it, it makes such common sense. Why Why do you think this can't be done or has, has not the, been done? The same reason we will probably never get term limits in Congress or in our federal government. Because the people who have to vote in term limits don't want term limits. The people who would have to vote in the fair tax don't want the fair tax because companies lobbying to get tax law changes, that's huge power for politicians. Take away the tax code and the politicians lose a lot of their power. The, The people who need to vote this in don't want it. That's making a lot of sense to me. If you're interested, there's two really good books on the fair tax, both written by Neil Bortz. Neil Bortz was a talk show host out of Atlanta years ago. He retired quite a few years back. Uh, But that was the first place I heard it. I used to listen to tons of talk radio when I drove. And Neil Bortz was a libertarian. Neil Bortz was the guy who introduced me to my favorite book, Atlas Shrugged, and also introduced me to the fair tax and he wrote two books on it i mean you can go look them up there i believe they're both available on audio what what is his last name neil bortz bortz b-o-o-r-t-z i think okay yeah i'm gonna go look that up i'll I'll download one of those books i have several credits available to me on audio yeah listen to that book and then call me back let's talk about it Will do. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. Good talking to you. Let's go to Tampa this time. Joe, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. It's good to talk to you again. Um, I got a question about, I don't know, six to eight weeks ago, you talked to the, the guy from Cardio Miracle. Yeah. And they mentioned that... Um, that they were going to change the sweetener 
And I was wondering if you had any idea when they planned on doing that. Uh, I held so, off on my batches, and I just got a new one first week in this, this month. And I was hoping that um, it had already changed to the monk fruit, but I, I didn't am, see it on the label. I am going to ask right now to see if I can get an answer while I've got you on the line. Um so let me type. Yeah, because with the current sweetener, I, I do get, I mean, it's fine, but there is a slight aftertaste, and I do use monk fruit for, yeah, you know, all of my other sweetening things like like coffee and stuff. Yeah, and I, I'm yeah, a I big like fan. That better than. I, I'm a big fan of monk fruit as a sweetener. It is one of the sweeteners that I, yeah, I really do like, so I'm glad they're making this change. Uh, I don't know. I have to go look. Uh, I'm asking right now to see if somebody can figure it out while I'm on the air. But I had an, I had a call yesterday where somebody claimed their latest batch was a different color, that it was much more deeper red than it used to be. And I didn't know the answer oh, to that I, question I, either. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe yeah, that I is the switch. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't opened my can that I just received, but I just looked at the label to see if it, it had changed and, and it's still the I think the erythritol or I think that's what it is uh, did they use erythritol and stevia or just erythritol I think it's just erythritol might be and erythritol is a sugar alcohol that's not a bad sweetener I'm okay with sugar alcohols sometimes they give people some mm-hmm. digestive issues um, and, yeah. and, and like I say, I I'm use, fine when they had erythritol in it, but I think monk fruit is an improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, to me, it does have a little aftertaste, and I use stevia for quite a bit, and it also has a slight aftertaste. But then I started using the monk fruit, and it seems like it's a little bit less. So yeah, I was you know pretty excited when they said they were going to change the monk fruit. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've got a question in right now, and I don't have an answer back yet. But if I get an answer before the end of the show, I'll let you know. Sounds good. All right, Kevin. Good to talk to you again, and I'll talk to you later. That's all I had. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, we are checking internally to see if we can find an answer on that. Let's go to Ohio. Jake, welcome to the program. Yes, sir, Kevin. Thank you. Um, I was listening to Matt, and I'm so impressed in what he's made, and 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 the numbers I really like to hear was the sixty-three thousand he put in the stock market, and then the other one that was really neat is the sixty-one thousand paid in taxes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, most truck drivers you talk to, they'll say, "Yeah, I make a fortune, but I don't pay no taxes." So. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, but I was wondering. Which is impossible, are, by the you've way. You've heard the story. Yeah, but are they? I'm using your fuel gauges, which I like, by the way. Okay. And are they using like profit gauges or? Because he came up with that other number that was 31 percent operating ratio, which that's kind of a a great number to know. Uh, it's an awesome number to know. Most and, people don't even understand what an operating ratio is. Um, but it's kind of like a scorecard yeah. for how efficient and profitable a business is. It, it doesn't focus on gross revenue. It focuses on the money you get to take home. Yeah, I, I'm an ex-dairy farmer, and Cornell had a dairy business summary that we would do, and it took hours to fill it out, but it gave you so much information you could take it to the bank and 
the bank would always be impressed. So, but are they using what's what is profit gauges, or would that so, do any of this? That that when Matt calls and we go over his business report, that is the report that comes out of profit gauges. Yes. And that's one of your products. Yeah, it's a it's an online Probably. software accounting program is what it is. So think of it as like QuickBooks for owner operators. How do I go about getting it through uh, your store? Or? Well, you go to letstruck.com and uh, let me go find the exact menu item for you here. Uh, go to our main website, which is letstruck.com and... Uh, look at the top menus, and you will see under trucking. You'll say fuel. You'll see fuel gauges, which you're already using, and right below that, you'll see profit gauges. And then just click on learn. It will tell you all about profit gauges. Uh, we show you a little bit of the reporting, so you can kind of see what it looks like. And then you just click on a big button there to sign up. It's nineteen dollars a month. Nineteen a month. Yeah. And being that this is January, it'd be a good time to start. It's an awesome time to start. You know, the other thing we do All is right. if you were to start right now in January, you can actually go back if you want and use the program to put in all of last year's numbers. Okay. Okay. And can that be done with like a smartphone or would you need an iPad or a laptop? It, so right now we don't have a profit gauges app. We have a fuel gauges app, but our profit gauges program runs in a browser. So it on a browser in an iPad, it's not bad. Um, I don't like it in a browser on the phone at all. I think it's really cumbersome to try to use profit gauges in your phone browser. Um, like I said, an iPad's not too bad. Um, your laptop with a good browser is really best right now. We do have a Profit Gauges app in the works. And when it's finished, which I don't really have a date, it's a big project. Um, not only will there be an app, but about, oh, I don't know, 70% of most people's accounting is going to be automated. Um, we are going to have a, a process where if you have a business credit card, you attach your business credit card to your profit gauges account and it pulls all of the transactions in and categorizes them for you. It'll do the same thing with your investment. It, it, it will work a lot like mint.com that I talk about all the time for personal finance, where you just put in your online accounts mm -hmm. and it pulls all the data in for you. That's how our, our app with profit gauges is going to work. This profit, I believe fuel gauges is shareable and other people can look at my fuel gauges. Is that true? Everybody in fuel gauges, everybody who has a fuel gauges account can see every truck that's in the system. Yes. In profit gauges, that does not. Is that happen. true with profit? No, nobody else okay. can see you your accounting. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for all you do, and we might see you in Louisville. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Thanks for the call. Yep. All right. We, uh, we've got uh, – I think we might be done. I thought I saw a call coming in there, but I think it already, I think it already dropped. 
So uh, I don't see any calls coming in. I think we're going to wrap this. Well, you know what? I should wrap this up anyway. We have, don't call. Um, call in 10 minutes. Um, right at 10 o'clock, we will be going live with uh, Rolling Toe. I say we, but it, it will be Mike and Kevin Beckett, as usual. Uh, so take a break. Come back in 10 minutes and uh, join the live show. Also call those guys. Um, you know, not being on Sirius has been a little change for us. Not as much as I thought. My, our call volume is still pretty darn high. Um, most days I can go two, two and a half, sometimes three hours, no breaks, which is closer to four hours of traditional radio without all the commercials. Uh, and we get lots and lots of calls. Thursdays all around seem to be a little slow for some reason. I'm not sure what, what it is with Thursdays. Uh, today I had, I had pretty good calls, but um, I know we struggle a little bit to get calls on Rolling Toe, and I'm not sure why. I mean, we've, we've never had that in the past. So call them up. Um, hell, bug them with vibration questions if you have to. Make up something. Uh, but go ahead and uh, check it out. They will be live here in just about 10 minutes. So we will be back tomorrow. I know we've got uh, confirmation from... Joel and Henry for tomorrow. We haven't heard from John yet. Um, Angie wanted me to, oh, cardio miracle question. Uh, as of right now, we still think it's uh, stevia and erythritol. I don't think they've made the change yet, uh, but we're only looking at product we already have. So I, I'll continue to dig and see if we can find a better answer on this. Uh, we will see you back here tomorrow. Again, 10 minutes from now, check back in and uh, call up Rolling Toe. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.